Welcome to Well-Rounded. Today, we have a special episode as we all face this pandemic of novel coronavirus, COVID-19. In the coming months, we, healthcare workers and trainees of all kinds, will be tested on an individual and systemic level. We hope to bring you information and support throughout this time, as often as we can pending our clinical responsibilities. Please be safe and wishing the best to you and yours during this time. Today, we're talking to Dr. Nikki Fantides, Chief Medical Officer of Health and Human Services for the County of San Diego. Before we get into that interview, we just want to provide some simple definitions for our listeners. As you all most likely know, COVID-19, or SARS-CoV-2, is a coronavirus like the common cold or more extreme viruses such as SARS and MERS. Symptoms can incubate from 2 to 14 days. This virus first appeared in Wuhan province in China in December of 2019. Data from that province has shown that the most common symptoms are fever and cough. Right now, mortality is hard to assess given inaccurate testing numbers and testing in more severe patients only. As of March 3rd, the WHO stated that the mortality rate was 3.4% compared to the 0.1% rate of the flu. In solidarity, Lauren, Isabel, and Dan from Well-Rounded. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here, Dr. Nick. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your very, very hectic schedule right now. To get us started, I just wanted to ask you, what is your role in the coronavirus response um, in San Diego County and beyond? So thank you very much. I am so grateful for the opportunity to spend a few minutes with you. I am now the chief medical officer of San Diego County and uh, the individual who is basically looking at himself as being the caretaker of 3.3 million people. My patient represents 1% of America's population. I am a population health doctor, and in the context of what is currently happening, I am the if I could say, clinical air traffic control, not just for the county, but in some ways for the emergency medical system, for the healthcare system, for the primary care and specialized system, for the physician workforce. You know, when you work for government versus an institution, your roles can be very far-reaching and while you may not have final authority, there is a air traffic control, coordinative, collaborative, table setting, integrating, tapestry making role. <laughs> and I would say I have all of those roles right now with regard to the regional response to COVID-19. It sounds like an immense amount of responsibility. Can you maybe give a little bit of a concrete window into an hour of your day What are you doing on the ground? I'll give you an adventurous hour (laughs) from doing a press conference with every television and radio station in San Diego before me and being the leader on a press conference to running into a room with the mayors of every city in San Diego to running to another room and addressing 
every provider in San Diego that is doing services to all of the homeless individuals in our communities, all of the basically community-based healthcare, faith and supportive entities, to answering phone calls, to reaching out to the Pentagon to get extensions of doctors that I have on temporary loan because of the crisis that we are facing, mm-hmm to responding to emails and being called into the office of various boards of supervisors that I work for, uh, giving them briefings. Um, I would say that the last, well, it's been over a month now because I remember when it all started. It was the Friday of January 31st, uh, the Friday before the Super Bowl, <laughs> and then Super Bowl weekend that my life went from hectic into being a blender. And because I just referenced that weekend, to me, this is now the Super Bowl of public health. <laughs> it is absolutely historic. And, and that is why we're so glad to be talking with you. Um, so as you've been talking with, you know, running to these rooms and talking to doctors, what would you say doctors can be doing to prepare for however and wherever this is going? Well, in realizing that I am talking to my future colleagues that will be doing these interviews when I am hopefully playing with my grandchildren or doing (laughs) whatever I do uh, in my advanced age, you know, and I'm going to be really honest about this because I'm in in a very... Uh, thoughtful but also very pragmatic mindset in the midst of a evolving crisis. I think my first answer to your question is that I wish doctors and clinicians would be informed, would be calm, and would be selfless. And what I mean by that is, and I'm not criticizing them, but I'm actually a little bit surprised over the course of the last five or six weeks to get a sense, knowing that all of us are humans, the level of fear that there is, the refusal of some clinicians to even take care of certain patients, because we are all humans with vulnerabilities and limitations. So I think clinicians of all levels, they really need to be informed, they need to be calm, and at times they need to be more selfless and have a greater preoccupation for the well-being of other people, not at the exclusion of their own. So it's been an interesting thing that I've experienced over the last six weeks. That is really interesting. And and in the same vein, you know, not necessarily about the well-being of patients or the providers themselves, but what are the risks for our friends and our families, given our roles as providers and the likelihood that we will be exposed to and very possibly contract COVID? Um, what are the risks for those people who aren't ourselves and aren't our patients, but are rather our friends and families that we're coming home to at the end of the day? Well, and that's a, a part of it, you know, especially, again, just like general society, there are many clinicians uh, at different levels who are single parents and who have the responsibilities of raising children or taking care of elders and so forth. And I guess, 
you know, my response to that mm-hmm. is that as we follow the precautions, as we follow the guidelines and the protocols that I believe are evidence-based, not fear or what-if-based, that the likelihood of that kind of risk uh, or that kind of exposure happening would be minimized. Now, there are times, and I have had a couple very interesting situations where, for example, there was a, a provider who wore some personal protective equipment and somehow somebody forgot to put a filter in somewhere. And right now they're on quarantine for 14 days because of exposure. Um, Those things happen, but thankfully they are the exception to the rule and not the norm. I completely get it that this isn't just about, especially with regard to infectious diseases, right? It's not just about ourselves. It's also about protecting and caring those we love. So as as you continuously facilitate this, you know, countywide response, what do you think or what can cities do to continue preparing? Well, this is really a fascinating scenario. And we here in San Diego have been through this before. I don't know if the listeners would be familiar where we had a regional crisis of a hepatitis A outbreak Mm. that was proportionally affecting the homeless. And the opportunity that we at the county had to partner and collaborate with the city with regard to sanitation, availability of, uh, you know, toilet facilities, porta-potties, hand-washing stations, shelters, places for the homeless other than in hospitals who developed, um, you know, complications to convalesce and recover and so forth. All of those things in many ways, though for a different kind of infection, a respiratory one rather than a gastrointestinal one, Mm -hmm. apply all over again. And Mm -hmm. so a part of what we are doing in collaboration with cities is especially with regard to vulnerable populations, in particular, the homeless. And and so this coronavirus, hepatitis A, and any other number of infections, I love to remind people, viruses are not limited by zip code. Viruses sometimes don't care whether or not you have a roof over your head or not. Viruses don't care about the size of your paycheck. Knowing that there are some diseases, right, based on inequity, chronic diseases, diabetes, hypertension, stroke, and so forth, yeah, there is absolute disproportionate risk and burden based on socioeconomic, cultural, and other factors. But when it comes to some of these infections, they know no boundaries. And so it's a fascinating opportunity to come to the realization that honestly, this is something that affects us all, and the social influencers in this situation are universal. They are not right. just for a subset of our population. Right. It is kind of like a great equalizer, especially in a state like California where homelessness is such an issue. This is definitely at the forefront of everyone's thinking about COVID. Dr. Nick, thank you so much for for your time. I have one just final quick question for you, and then I'll let you get back to (laughs) saving the city. Um, 
I think if, you know, if you have a message that we can pass along to our patients, people are obviously very afraid. And as you've noticed, providers themselves are acting fearfully, you know, fair enough. But um, what should we be telling our patients? Well, our patients need reassurance. Our patients need transparency. And our patients need honesty. And again, this isn't about plugging a particular message or what any or, or anything like that. But what is unique about this situation is that it is evolving, and so there is the element of the unknown, but there is also a tremendous amount of energy. You know, we have done things in this country that um, have never been done before, and frankly, not at all with a sense of alarm or concern, but decisive, deliberate action that we need to take to flatten down our epidemiological curve and protect the capacity of our health systems, I don't think we're done with the interventions. Um, I think that there is going to be even more, uh, not martial law, but we're talking about the equivalent of kind of the lockdown that is currently happening in Italy and so forth. So, You know, I don't think we can tell patients uh, artificial reassurance. I don't Mm -hmm. think we can tell patients inappropriate panic. And so I think there's a needle that needs to be thread between providing them transparent, honest, and the latest information, qualifying it when it's necessary, and using it as an activation step not to just facilitate hand-wringing, but for the kind of preparation that I feel people now need to be making to make sure that they have two to three weeks of supplies at home if they need to be literally bunkered down at home, to have folks prepared with medications and taking into consideration um, the care of individuals who may be elderly or who have underlying medical conditions Again, um, this is really a monumental challenge that we are facing. And so anything other than total honesty at the same time of not being dismissive yet not causing panic, that is the needle that I'm trying to thread on a daily basis. On that note, I will let you go. Thank you for your time. Thank you for all of the work that you're doing. And thank you for being here for all of San Diego. Welcome, and thanks for the opportunity to share a few of my thoughts with your listening audience. Have a great day. You too. Thank you so much, Dr. Nick. Well, I think that's a wrap. 